find yourself thinking that you're not good enough or that you're not lovable? Many people hide a dark side that they feel that if others knew their secrets, it would be detrimental to their relationships. It doesn't need to be that way at all. This is where words can't reach. Shedding light on our dark side with your host, Dr. Madeline DeLittle can help. It's time for a frank and open discussion about the things that are bothering us and say what needs to be said. Dr. DeLittle and her guest experts are here to help you understand and provide advice. Now, here is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Hello and welcome to Voice America, the Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Dr. Madeline DeLittle on Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side. Today, we're going to be uh, talking to Dr. Brett Lyon about melting uh, the shame freeze. Um, he's a, an expert in this topic in, in transforming shame. And So welcome to you, Brett. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show again. Yeah, nice to be here. So I, I know that you spoke about this earlier on the show, but for those listeners who weren't uh, listening in, can you talk to us just briefly about what motivates you to, to, to do this work? I mean, you are immersed in, in transforming shame. Is that correct? Yes. For about 10 years, this has been my, maybe longer now, this has been my thing. And it, it came for very, very personal reasons, as I think this stuff does. When you become really passionate about something, it's, um, in my case, certainly, it's because it really affected me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got involved in this, actually, when my uh, now wife, who was then my girlfriend, uh, Sheila Rubin, uh, broke up with me. And I became aware mm-hmm. that I was doing things that I wasn't proud of. And she said, you know, it'd be easier to be with you if you were just nasty. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, all the time. Then I'd get used to it, you know. Oh, I but see. But so nice. And so, because I'm a very sensitive guy. Yeah. And, uh, but I lose it. And that's what would, would happen. And she'd say, you know, suddenly you get very cold and you get very nasty. And I feel energetically punched in the stomach. Not physically, mm-hmm. but energetically. Yeah. And, yeah. and you verbally, you, you start using words that aren't nice. And I'm the nicest guy in the world. And. I've had friends who know me for 30 years and literally never seen me angry, never. Mm. But this has not been the case with my ex-partners. Uh, and, so and it had, was the flip-flop that was really, with the warning signs, the flip-flop. Yeah, the flip-flop without seeming warning. I mean, that was what was so ah, right. She didn't see what caused it, and I didn't see what caused it. It was I just a sudden. Something was wrong, and I got nasty. And I actually mm-hmm. went to therapy and uh, talked to a therapist who was a very good therapist about it. And he said, well, doesn't something happen before you get angry? And I said, no, nothing happens. I just get angry. And that was the end of it. <laughs> and what did you discover? Well, what I came to understand is that what precedes the anger is shame. And the way men generally, and certainly myself and a lot of men and some women, deal with shame is by going from that powerless sense of shame and freeze and not feeling important to the most powerful emotion, which Mm -hmm. is anger. And so I just would flip um, to an an angry place in terms of the theory we, we work with. I would go to attack other as my reaction to shame. It's like it's not me, it's you. Right. 
And Whereas, I, would would you, as a generalization, would you say that women tend to attack themselves? As a My generalization, fault? yes. I have worked with women who definitely go to attack other. Yeah, and that's the true. guy in that case usually attacks himself. It, it seems to pair up pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we want to be careful. Yeah, yeah. and very much men, and men can you know get to the point of violence. In fact, they've done studies of violent oh. offenders, and pretty much in every case, there's a really, really deep shame from childhood that gets triggered. And and so that led you then to help others. Was that was that the was that the, how the trajectory goes? Very much so. I I just felt like it wasn't covered in in therapy. In therapy school, nobody learns about shame. It actually started with Freud, who didn't want to deal with it because he was so shame-based. And then in Freud's inner circle, the way they dealt with people who didn't agree with the master was they exiled them. And exile is the most extreme form of shame. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, shame is a social emotion, and it's designed to keep people in line in society Mm-hmm. And the way it's used in tribal societies is people are exiled or shunned, which is the most extreme punishment. That, that's what we tend to do to folks is to, is to do exactly that. So it's um, it 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 uh, it serves the group, the community, but not the individual. Is that right? Well, it's more complicated than that. Okay. Um, Every society uses shame to socialize. That is the way. Shame is the socializing emotion. In fact, the purpose of shame is to keep us out of trouble, is to keep us, you know, following at least to some extent society's rules. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of shame is actually essential. The question isn't really whether the society is going to shame people, but how much shame and what kind of shame. So is this, what's the difference between shame and guilt? Can you, can you clarify that? Yeah, I, I can. Um, I'm in some disagreement, you know, verbally with Brene Brown, although I don't think we actually agree on content. But, but I'm trying to enlarge the definition of shame uh, because it's such a pervasive emotion. And guilt is just a form of shame from my perspective. It's a modified, more intellectual form of shame. And the reason it's so important to use the word shame is most people talk about guilt when they actually are feeling shame. Shame is a primary emotion. It takes over the nervous system. It freezes the nervous system. Uh, Guilt is more, you know, kind of figuring out, gee, I did something wrong here. And people can actually be proud of their guilt. I mean, you know, the fact that I'm guilty shows that I'm a good person. I did this thing, but I feel bad about it. Right, you had a conscience. Yeah, I have a conscience. I'm really a good person at heart. But shame is much deeper than that and much more profound. And, And so I see guilt as a form of shame. We actually use the term, which I'll get into more later, a healthy shame as a replacement for the word guilt. Mm, okay. Okay, I've heard, I've heard that term. So um, you talked about the freezing. This is what you, the whole uh, of our show today is about melting the, the shame freeze. Can you, without getting too technical, describe what you mean by the freeze, uh, the freeze part of shame and, and what happens and therefore yeah, how, we, how we thaw uh, it? Yeah, and I can do that without getting too technical. Great. I can do it by getting very technical, but I'll yeah, try I'm sure. to. Uh, and sometimes I have to watch myself because yeah. I, I start getting technical and talking about the polyvagal theory and then yes. people's eyes glaze over. Yes. So let me not do that. Right. And let me just say very simply 
that people have all heard of fight or flight. Right. How we go into either fight or flight. There's actually a third thing that we can go into. If we can't fight and we can't flee, then we freeze. So it's actually fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. Uh, freeze is what, what you know, it, it can be a survival mechanism like for possums, playing possum. Uh, if a predator uh, is after a possum, it'll just play dead. And that's a freeze state. It's actually somewhat protective. And so that's what shame is. Shame is the freeze state. It's, an, it's a unique emotion. It's the only emotion that's both a primary emotion and a state of freeze at the same time. And so it affects the whole nervous system. It affects your IQ. You become stupid when you, when you go into shame. It's hard to think clearly. <laughs> and it affects your body. It affects the entire nervous system. And and so that's a survival mechanism, is it? I mean, that's what freeze is, isn't it? Shame is a survival mechanism. It, shame is the best possible solution to an impossible situation. That's the way I see it. It's like if you can't do anything about it, and you're being in some sense either abandoned or abused, those are the two, and you can't really fight and you can't really flee, then you go into this freeze state, and, and children do it all the time. And it's the way that um, children deal with what are called attachment violations or uh, where the boundary violations, where they're, not, they're either intruded on too much or uh, ignored too much. And so they can't really like lash out at the parent. Mm-hmm. And, and so what they do is, it's my fault. It must be me. Uh, let me let me give you Brene Brown's definition of shame because I think yeah. that really gives you this sense of the mind-body connection. Great. Uh, shame is the incredibly painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I love mm-hmm. that definition. It's a three-part definition. Yeah. The first part is the feeling or experience. So it's in the body. Shame happens in the body. But it's also in the mind. It's, it's actually an embodied cognition, if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. We think it and we feel it at the same precise moment. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the feeling actually comes first. The consciousness is slightly behind it. And it's a believing we're flawed. And therefore, this is the third part, unworthy of love and belonging. So because I'm flawed, I'm not getting what I need. Because I'm flawed, uh, I'm not getting the love that I need. And chronologically, this happens in reverse. There are breaks in attunement as a child grows up. Attunement is the connection. Mm -hmm. So um, the child can't make sense out of that in any other way, but it must be my fault. It's the only it's the only safe way, really, when you think about it. Because otherwise, I'm I'm totally dependent on these people who are crazy or evil or not giving me what mm-hmm. I need, as opposed to gee, it's my fault. If it's my fault, maybe I could fix it. Yeah, I I, I work with children who have uh, disclosed abuse, and that's certainly that their that's a mantra for them. Yes. You know, if I hadn't done something or... If I hadn't done this, if I could only do this. Um, yeah. For me, it came up in that my parents um, got divorced. And mm-hmm. there was always tension between them. My father was always leaving and not home very often. And so, you know, for me, it was somehow my, my job to fix that. And I couldn't fix it. 
I think that's why I got into the field I'm in now, really, is to help fix people or help, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I took it on. Yeah, yeah. yes. And so that's that stays with us. Somehow it's imprinted in us. And, and as adults, here we are, we're, we're carrying around these, these profound hurts. We're carrying, uh, which, yes. And, and they just keep popping out uh, by the sound of things. They, they st- they're still there. They don't go away. They don't go away and they pop out. They keep popping out in some cases. They pop out less than others, you know, depending on who the people are. Mm-hmm. Um, mine pop out a lot. I still deal with it. I just had to go to the uh, the DMV yesterday, and the last time I went there, it took seven hours. And the level of shame, the feeling of non-personhood, you know, that I wasn't really a person, I was just an object to them, mm. That's, was is, devastating. What is, what is BMV? Oh, I'm sorry, Department of Motor Vehicles. In oh, California. oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Seven right. hours. They used, they've gotten it better now. It was only two hours. It wasn't a problem. But last time I went, two, two years ago, was the height of this craziness, and it was seven hours sitting there. Oh. And I did about four hours with some grace. And after that, I was just a mess. You know, and I've learned to feel my shame rather than lash out at somebody else. Plus, you know, you don't want to lash out at the DMV. You could be in all kinds of trouble. So I just sat there feeling ashamed, feeling so the terrible. Shame, let's take this example. The shame for you yesterday, I, I'm imagining you sitting there in this hot and uh, sweaty building waiting for to be seen. It, the shame came from not being paid attention to or not being heard or just being treated like a like. That's my shame. Like, like, yeah. That's that. So that's so that's the piece that's awakened in you. Yeah. And, and right. Okay. Shame, and that, shame comes from either intrusion or abandonment. In my family, it was abandonment. Mm-hmm. I wasn't seen uh, on a pretty regular basis, and so <laughs> this triggered that feeling of my God, <laughs> you know. And also, I had the opposite thing that I was special. So I wasn't seen unless I was special. So those were my two alternatives. I was either special and unique and going to save the world, or I was completely invisible. Right. So here I was, completely invisible. So you you are able to, because you're aware of it, you're able to do something about it. But I can imagine that there are other people who are not aware of it that would start to shout and get angry and aggressive to the... The, the poor person sitting behind the be- behind the desk, and that's what we're talking about. That that's how it comes out, or some would just leave. Yeah, there are basically four reactions to shame, and the one that I used to do a lot and can still do if I'm not careful is the attack other. Um, mm-hmm. We don't. Shame is so painful physiologically; it it hurts so much that people don't stay there. They go into a reaction to the shame instead. And uh, the first one reaction, which is typically male, although it's not just men, obviously, is attack other. The other is attack self, where you start criticizing yourself, but you're actually getting out of the basic shame. You're just kind of criticizing yourself. You see this a lot with eating uh, people who overeat or, or feel bad about their weight where they'll make that the theme, but that's not really what the shame is about. The shame is from childhood. It's much deeper. Okay. And then there's deny, which is um, addictions. It it isn't really happening. It's not really going on. You just kind of uh, 
pretend you continue in the situation, but you pretend you're not. But so pretend that's, you're not addicted. You pretend, yeah, you pretend nothing's wrong. Okay. You yeah. get, you know, I had a very happy childhood. Everything was great. Oh, I and see. I just yeah. happened to drink. Right. You know, there's there's that horrible joke, you know, which is I get drunk, I fall down. What's the problem? I don't have a drinking problem. You know, it's it's that kind of denial. And then the other one, the fourth one is withdraw. And withdrawal can be dangerous if you withdraw too far, where you go into despair and isolation. But a little bit of withdrawal can allow you to reassess. And that's what I spent my seven hours trying to do. Uh, you know, reassess, go, okay, these people aren't doing it to me deliberately. Everybody else is in the same situation. It really stinks, but it will at some point get done. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff would be a reassessment. And that could lead me to a healthy shame response, which would be, I'm a limited human being. They're <laughs> limited human beings. You know, the system stinks. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm in it, but I'll be out of it at some point. That would be a healthy shame response to it. Mm-hmm. So for those folks who are either attacking themselves or other people or in denial or withdrawing, how do, how do, we, how do we help them? I mean, that's where we, we're moving towards that today. How, do, how does that, do they just, do they get rid of it? Do they wake up one morning and get rid of it? Or, you know, what's, nope, nope. What's, you never get rid of it. It's, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, there's good news and bad news, you know, and the Good news, bad news is that you never get rid of it. You have to transform it and adapt to it. And that's this idea that we've come up with of healthy shame, which is where you kind of accept that you're a limited human being, like all limited human beings. And this is both a cognitive thing, but it's also physiological, and it involves breathing, breathing and grounding. And, And that's where we get back to the theme of melting the shame freeze. You know, I use those that phrase, uh, we do a whole workshop, my wife and I, on melting the shame freeze, and it's specifically the physiology of shame, and basically you counter that physiology, and in, in the shame physiology, you basically stop breathing, you go into a freeze state, your nervous system kind of freezes up, your head kind of collapses, your, your body rounds over in the shame posture, mm-hmm. and all you can see is your feet, and all you can focus on is yourself and how miserable you are and how bad you are. Right. There's no eye contact, is there? There's no eye contact in shame. That's right. Shame is designed to protect us by, by insulating us, and if you think about the shame posture, it's almost like a fetal position where the back is exposed, but the soft underbelly is protected. It's actually mm-hmm. a protective posture, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work well. So, so breathing. So breathing begins yeah. to open you up from that posture. Meditation, any kind of exercises, because uh, they make it hard at the DMV. But you know, even in your <laughs> chair, you can be moving your feet, you can be moving your hands, you can be closing your eyes, kind of get a little withdrawn from the situation and do some deep breathing and get back in touch with yourself. That would be, you know, that's one of the pieces we work with is the physiology of it. And then while you're doing that, then you try to see the big picture, which is, you know, I'm only here, okay, I'm here for seven hours. It's terrible, but the seven hours will be up at some point mm-hmm. and I'll get the hell out of here, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and that, that feels, you know, there's a way in which you can say, okay, you know, I'm stuck in this situation. Yeah, I could have handled it better, 
I certainly, in this case, should have made an appointment, and I didn't. But how much am I going to beat myself up for that? I mean, it's a human mistake. So I'm I'm breathing and I'm moving my feet. I'm grounding. The other word we use a lot is grounding. Uh, the connection with the ground, uh, pressing your heels into the ground is really, really helpful in terms of getting centered, getting present. And this and, you, this is a lovely example for our listeners who can take this away and it's practical. They don't have yeah. to sign up for anything or they, they can do this deep breathing in and out. I mean, I, I'm my sense is that Breathing out is is better than well. Yeah, basically, it's as important as as breathing in. Yeah, your ideal is about double for the exhale. Okay. Your exhale is really the key. The inhale is automatic. The exhale you can control, and so you want to increase your exhale, and that will allow for a better inhale as well. But the exhale is where the calming comes in. Uh, you know, if you wanted to use a phrase, you know, I'm breathing out frustration. I'm breathing in. Uh, love, I'm breathing in comfort. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But the main thing is the breathing out. <laughs> the out is really important. Okay. And so moving hands, I'm just repeating what you said just to, for our listeners. So closing your eyes, just being quiet, mm-hmm. sort of centering in. Right. Um, right. Just, and there's uh, another part too, which is if you're in a shaming situation and you can get out of it, get out of it particularly if you find yourself starting to react with an attack other reaction, which is where I tend to go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, take a walk, get away. Uh, I couldn't really do that at the DMV, but that would have really helped. <laughs> you know, get off on your own. And when you're off on your own, walk, at, which is good exercise. You're coming out of the freeze and then you're breathing. And then you can have some positive uh, thoughts, some, you know, okay, I got limits. This is something I have to get through. I really hate it, but it's going to be over, that kind of thing. And yet, when you're in the free state, it's hard to, to move, is it it's not? It's really hard. And, yeah. and I don't want, I, I want people to help themselves, but I don't want to minimize the importance of right. getting help. Yeah. Because it's very hard to come out of freeze. Freeze, it, it takes you over. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the image we get a lot is people talk about shame as like a, a, a tar or a goo. or a I coke. see it like that, as yeah. oil, like it sticks yeah. to Yeah, it, it, it feels like something that's external, that's put on you, which mm-hmm. is what it is, because shame comes from being shamed. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is something intrinsically shaming about the DMV, about, you know, they've, they've fixed it now, and now it's a two-hour wait, which is human. But to have people sitting there for seven hours for no reason is shaming. It's, high, mm-hmm. it's, it's really treating people as cattle. So uh, it does evoke. And what happens is you have shame triggers. So, you know, okay, seven hours out of you, you lose a day. But mm-hmm. if you've been abandoned as a kid, if as a child you felt uh, unseen, then that can trigger that feeling. And then you really go into that shame. That old shame gets triggered off. So we're looking at institutions unintentionally shaming the customers, the participants, the clients. Oh, yeah. Oh, you- yeah. And it's a big issue, and it's, it's, it's a place I would like to reach more. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our workshops are designed for therapists and helping professionals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my goal, we started with my passion, and my passion is to make sure that people who need help and seek help can actually get help for this issue. 
for, right. for their shame. And the fact is that therapists are not trained or were not. It's it's changing. I, I, I think we're a little bit on the forefront of that, but there are there are a lot of things now coming out about shame. They're starting to have courses in the in the schools about mm. it. Uh, a lot of people who were pretty established are starting to cover it. A lot of the trauma people, uh, people who it was a big thrust for working with trauma, and people weren't realizing that whenever you have trauma, you have shame. There's no way around it, you know, because right. trauma is this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness, and yeah. that's a shame feeling. So they were ignoring shame. I actually had a student who came to me and she was trying to work with a trauma therapist. And every time she'd bring up shame, the trauma therapist would say, can you put that aside? (laughs) No, you can't put it aside. It's the essence of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's starting to be in the field Mm -hmm. and therapists are learning about it. And that's partly, I believe, through my work, which I'm happy about, but a lot of other people too. And then I would like to be bringing this work to um, to schools and to all the different institutions where they're, as you put it beautifully, they're unconsciously, unintentionally mm-hmm. shaming people. Yeah, see it being seen as a, somehow a motivation. One one of the one of the definitions of shame is being treated like an object, being unseen. Mm-hmm. Those are definitions of shame. That is what shame is. Wow. So th- we have lots of work to do. I know in my, certainly in my training, I was never, never touched on shame. In fact, it's just been fairly new to me, which is exactly why I wanted to bring this awareness to listeners all around the world so that they, you know, that we, we talk about it because it always seemed to be something that couldn't be talked about, that somehow it was untouchable. Right, right. And so I, so uh, glad doing yeah. it. And, you know, the biggest problem is not shame. The problem is the shame about shame. That's where the problem is, that it's untalkable about, that people can't deal with it, that it's unacceptable Mm -hmm. to be ashamed. You can be guilty. You can be angry. You can be scared. But to admit that you're ashamed, that's really hard. Oh, thanks, Brett. Let's go to break now, and we're going to get come back and uh, to talk more about melting, melting shame. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you want to know more about how to work with children and adults to transform shame, depression, loss, and anxiety, order Dr. DeLittle's book, Where Words Can't Reach, Neuroscience and the Satir Model in the Sand Tray. The book is available online from Dr. DeLittle's website, wherewordscannotreach.com. Dr. DeLittle also conducts workshops and can come to your workplace or organization. If you wish to have Dr. DeLittle come and do a two-day workshop on an introduction to neuroscience and satire in the sand tray, please contact her at mdelittle at gmail.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-484-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Where Words Can't Reach, shedding light on our dark side. We'd love to hear from you with any stories, suggestions, or questions by sending an email to mthelittle at gmail.com. Here again is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Welcome back to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side. My guest today is Dr. Brett Lyon, who has been talking to us about how to melt the shame freeze. And we've talked a lot about uh, what goes on in an individual. And um, Brett, what I'm interested in is the sort of the cultural milieu that we're living in right now and the blaming that's going on. It's certainly impacting um myself and many of my colleagues here in Canada around what you know we're being impacted can you speak to what is going on in in a general sense not in specifics but general well whenever I go to Canada I go there a great deal because we're um, our workshops are very popular in Canada Mm. Um, and and people always say you know we're so glad we're not in the states right now so it's it's a general consensus yeah there's a general consensus about that and and I think you know, I, I can really see what's happening through a shame lens. And it seems like to me, you know, I see everything through a shame lens, but it seems like in some ways the best lens to really get what's going on. You've got uh, people who have de- a deep sense of shame because they're being left out of the society in, in ways that are striking in specifically rural America. And uh, they're being left behind. The children can't find work there. Uh, it's it, the the nature of things is going towards the city. It's it's it, that's what's happening. And so people are feeling a lot of shame, and they they're reacting to it with what I consider the react the attack other reaction. Mm-hmm. So you get on both sides, you get a lot of attack other. And I don't want to equalize those two sides. They're not equal. There is there is definitely more attack other going on from one side, but it's still from a place of shame. I think we we have to go to deal with social ills is is to work with the shame. Um, there's a study where uh, there was a prisoner who uh, was you know constantly causing trouble, and whatever they did, he kept causing more trouble. He'd go in solitary, he'd come out again. And basically, his comment was, they can't take my dignity away from me. Wow. The need to feel dignity is, is one of our greatest needs. And the opposite of shame is dignity. It's not pride, it's dignity. And so, just tease out dignity for me. Well, dignity means that I have a place in this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, this really comes up in all kinds of areas. We just did a workshop on shame and aging. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this is a big one for me because I'm 76 as of right. 
next week. I'll oh. be 76 years old. And uh, I don't look it, which gives me some comfort. <laughs> but, I, you know, it's like you start feeling invisible in the society. The biggest thing about aging is how invisible you start to become. Well, first of all, you have to start accepting a lot of limitations yes. that you didn't have to accept before. Yes. And so, and then the society itself doesn't, in our, in this country, I, I, I'm, I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but they don't accept people getting older. It, it, there's no place of dignity and respect for people who are older. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. in a field where actually I, I, it works out pretty well for me. Mm -hmm. In my field, as I get older, I actually get more respect. So that's nice. But for most <laughs> people, they don't, you know, and, and so there's a, a shame that comes along with aging that is in addition to the physical changes. And there's a job of accepting limitations that really is the key on a cognitive level to working with aging mm -hmm. is to accept that I'm a limited human being, as are all limited human beings. I'm willing to look at and accept my limitations. And I realize that everybody else has limitations too. They may not be mine, but I'm not, better than other people and I'm not worse than other people. There are just limitations. And so um, personally, uh, the people who are getting so angry really need to look at their limitations and come to some better terms with them. And then mm -hmm. institutionally, we need to be giving voice and dignity to everybody. Absolutely, yes. I don't, I don't have the social answers, but I do know that people need to be, well, okay, Virginia Satir, one of her great uh, comments, this great, great therapist, was um, the greatest gift I can receive, can conceive of receiving is to be seen by you, heard by you, touched and understood by you. Mm -hmm. And the greatest gift I can conceive of giving is to see, hear, touch and understand another person. And that is the, the antidote to shame. If shame is the breaking of the interpersonal bridge, then the antidote to shame is the healing of that bridge, the, the, the connecting, the reconnecting with people. And, and we need to look at the people who are so angry and try to find ways to reconnect with them. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, uh, is, is the leadership in the world, and I'm going to broaden it out, exploiting this? Yeah, I think there's a terrible exploitation going on right now of shame. I mean, I mm -hmm. think sh the essence of it is, you know, you're being shamed and it's not right and you really deserve better, which mm -hmm. may be true, but it's not being presented in that way. It's being presented as a full attack other. It's the immigrants who are the problem. It's this group that's the problem. It's not you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change. You don't have to reassess and say, gee, where are my limitations? What am I doing wrong? How can I change mm -hmm. to make it work better? You can just blame everybody else. And that's a very destructive uh, form of shaming. See, all societies run on shame. That's the basic unit. It's not a question of whether you use shame to, to socialize people. That's the given. The question is, what kind of shame and how do you use it? Mm -hmm. there's, there's what I call healthy shaming, just like there's healthy shame. I'll give you an example. Yeah, if please a, do. If, if a kid runs into the street and the mother yells, get back here now! Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm keeping my voice down, but let's assume it's louder. <laughs> and the kid, you know, runs, ideally runs back. 
And is this a healthy piece of shaming or a toxic piece of shaming? Mm -hmm. And the answer is we don't know yet because it's what happens next that determines. If the mother gives the kid a swat and says you're a bad kid, that's toxic shaming. That's just going to hurt the kid. If the mother says, look, you know, I'm sorry I yelled, I got scared, you really can't run into the street like that, maybe gives the kid a hug, that's healthy shaming. Mm -hmm. That's kind of giving a sense of what's right and what's wrong in a limited fashion. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's like you did something wrong, not you're bad. Right. And I think this issue of bad is Mm -hmm. really, really in the forefront today. You know, um, these people are bad. Uh, the connect, you know, the the comparing people to rats the, and vermin. Uh, this is bad. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this happened in Nazi Germany, and and this is not a good thing. Um, so, if you were a, a, a king of the kingdom, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for for a day, right, for a day. What, what would you do differently? It just seems to be. It seems to be there's there's the blame game going on, and then there's not taking responsibility for whatever it is that that that's maybe that's the the denial piece is not taking responsibility for yes. your part. They seem to be going on a lot around the world. So if you were a king for a day, uh, and I well, I'm I'm glad I'm not. Doing? Frankly, I, I, <laughs> really, it's just. I mean, I thought about that a lot, you know, um, if I were God, you know, I would not want to be because it's mm-hmm. too much responsibility. I don't know how to fix everything. Mm-hmm. But but I do think there's a more humane tone. There's a, a way of, of kind of acknowledging that we're all humans. I, I think, you know, there are voices out there trying to do that, uh, you know, not separating people, but uniting people that we're all basically the same. We all want the same thing. We all want safety. We all want love. Uh, we all want a decent living, you know, and, and kind of try to make things more unified. How to solve the, the individual problems, I have no idea. But at least to create a tone of mutual respect and, and, and a mutuality, the fact that we're all basically the same, that's what's missing. Uh, we're one of to do our best. Yeah, one of Einstein's great quotes is is our biggest job is to get people I, I don't I'm misquoting but it's basically I'm going to paraphrase our biggest job is to get people over the illusion that we're different. That's one uh, of his quotes. I think there's something about a being, it's an optical delusion it's that we delusion. are that we're separate. Yeah. yeah. We're all basically part of the same thing. And, and I think if that's understood, that at least gives you a base to work from. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what all the answers would be clearly, but at least there's a base where you're not attacking each other and you're not blaming others. And then you are taking responsibility for yourself. Um, I, I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, a client, actually it was a, somebody before I became uh, the work I do now, I was in theater and I had an actor who'd been in Vietnam, and he had not seen any action. He'd been stationed in Saigon, but he was racked with shame. And the reason was because he'd been dealing with all these pilots who had been bragging about pushing people out of their planes without any sense of shame. You know, like they weren't really humans. I could push them out of the plane. And he was the one who held it. 
it was really striking, you know, that he had all this, um, it's kind of borrowed shame or uh, uh, yes. yeah, car- shame carrier. Yeah. Yes. Because they were not feeling the shame. And, and I think that'd be another way of looking at the problem. Um, when Joe McCarthy was doing his bit and he finally got stopped um, by attacking the army and there were the hearings and it was a big deal. I was a kid, but I was aware of it. Um, uh, Joseph Welch, the lawyer for the army said, you know, have you no decency, sir? Have you no decency left? And for me, that meant shame. Have you no shame? And, and I think the, uh, a healthy dose of shame is really required in our leaders, mm-hmm. a healthy shame, not, not toxic shame, but shame of realizing, you know, I'm limited. I can't solve everything. Everybody's got limitations. We're all basically the same. I make mistakes. Um, I make mistakes and everyone mm-hmm. else makes mistakes too. And, mm-hmm. and I've got to learn from my mistakes. That's my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that kind of approach would make a big difference. I think it's, it's in short supply right now. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I think somebody was talking about it's actually increasing the therapist load. Uh, oh yes, I, I'm on some anxiety. Yeah. I'm on some therapist listservs and people writing in, um, yeah, it's just really hard, the level of, of split that's going on. You even have couples coming in where one person is on one side and one person is on the other. Mm-hmm. You certainly have people who are estranged from their extended families because of this. It's really gotten ugly. And, and I grew up in a time when there was a lot more comedy, not comedy, but comedy, you know, a lot right. more good feeling between people. When I actually, at one point in my life, I voted for a Republican a couple of times. Uh, you know, it's like I was able to cross the aisle. I, there was enough right. commonality. Right. And now people are very tribal. It's really like warring tribes. And people aren't, you know, everybody has ideas. Nobody has the answer. Uh, nobody has the answer. You know, everybody needs to be heard and, and balanced. And, mm-hmm. and that's not what's happening today. Yeah, there does seem to be a lot of circling of the wagons yeah. and um, protection, protecting um, yeah. and, and, and positioning, whereas, yes, yeah. And, and in terms of the theory that I'm running from, running is that there's a lot of childhood wounding mm. that's never dealt with. And that childhood wounding can come out in the present in, in attacking others. There was that that shame that started in childhood from not being fully seen or being abused or abandoned in some way is now running people in the present. And they're, they're acting on childhood stuff. And, and, the, and the job is to really kind of look at your material, look at where you came from, what wounded you, what your wounds are, mm-hmm. and not to take it out on other people. What I'm really appreciating right now, Brett, is is – that you're not labeling, you're not um, you're not giving this sort of diagnoses and and labeling certain right. folks. Rather, but you're yeah. rather describing. There's com- even even as you're describing it, there's compassion there for people who are wounded. Yeah. Not, ne- not necessarily the harm that it's done being done to others, but it, but you're looking at it through. Yes, a shame lens, but also a compassionate lens. Yeah. Well. <laughs> of, uh, you have to have compassion is one of the elements of healthy shame that you have compassion for yourself and you have compassion for others um mm. yeah without a doubt it's it's part of part of the yeah definitely 
so do you do workshops for um, people who are not therapists? Or can you can you speak to that, or is it just? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, our workshops right now we had a focus, and we've been focused on helping, working with helping professionals. So that covers a wide category. Most of our students at this point are therapists. That's who we, the market we've reached. And we're very excited about working with them. But we would really like to broaden. We do occasionally get nurses and teachers and doctors and lawyers, anybody who's a helping professional, anybody who's in interaction with people and trying to help them. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason we do it that way is because shame is such an explosive emotion that it's a little easier to work with it in terms of helping others rather than just helping yourself. Um, but we do have students who are starting to reach out more, doing smaller groups and reaching out to the general public uh, with the, the shame processes. Um, but for us at this point, we're trying to gear towards therapists. That, that's really, I mean, that's how I got wounded. I tried to get help and I couldn't get it. No. And so it became really important to me to make sure that people can get help around their shame. It seems such important work that somehow has been uh, left left untouched for so long. And yeah, it's it's remarkable. It really mm-hmm. is. You know, it, it's it really like is. elephant in the living room. We actually have uh, on our coal <laughs> workshop the picture we use is the picture of an elephant in a living room. Because it's not spoken about. It's never yeah. because people therapists don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to transform it. Right. And so they, as you say, they said, you know, let's put that aside. Yeah. The, the first, re, you know, the first thing when we do a workshop, the first thing the therapists get to is, oh, now I see the shame. Now I see it. I didn't see it before. Now I see it. Now what do I do with it? You know, mm-hmm. that's the next question. And that's usually in the second workshop where we start to get more into how to handle it and how to work with it. Because it's a tricky thing to work with because it is a freeze state. It freezes the whole body. It freezes the whole nervous system. And it has to be melted slowly. It can't be, it can't just be broken through or eliminated. And so that's one of the reasons we came up with the concept of healthy shame. The idea that you transform shame into healthy shame. You don't get rid of shame. Mm-hmm. And that's because we need shame. We need a small amount of shame to realize our limitations, uh, I'll give you an example. Of, yes, please do. I can't fly, okay? And it's kind of a funny example, but when you think about it, I always wanted to fly. Do you but, mean because you don't have wings? or? Yeah, you, I don't have wings. I can't oh, fly. But you do mean knowing that I can't fly means that I'm not going to jump off a tall building and flap my arms. You know, it's, it's an important piece of information that I need to hold. <laughs> And it sounds silly, but then, okay, now I'm 76. It's hard for me to bend down. Okay. And when I, when I get down to the floor, it's hard for me to get up again. So <laughs> these are real limitations, and I have to come to terms with them. So I can either be in toxic shame about them. Oh, my God, this is so terrible. I used to be able to do all these things. And there are other things I'm not going to mention that I'm not able to do right now mm-hmm. that I used to be able to do that are upsetting to me. And I could spend a lot of time being in shame about that, being in toxic shame about it uh, and feeling bad and beating myself up or maybe blaming other people for them or maybe getting into a drinking or some other way to avoid feeling it. Mm -hmm. Or I could just accept that I have these limitations. How am I going to deal with them? 
Oh, I have one other example that might be helpful because I haven't given enough examples today. Um, Stephen Curry, the basketball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, not know. everybody follows it, but a lot <laughs> no. of people do. And I, I'm here in California. Stephen Curry has changed the game of basketball in that he takes shots from great distances, which basketball never used to do. And he's changed the whole game so that everybody now is taking shots. from it, Basketball used to be basically played under the basket, right, right. there. And right. now it's played much further out. The game has changed, and it's because of one man. And he was small for a basketball player, and he wasn't chosen for his high school team. And his father, who was a basketball player, told him, you know, you got to do something about this. And so he could have just given up and he could have gone into toxic shame and said, look, I can't do this. I'm just going to forget it. But instead he reassessed and he changed the way he played. You know, if I'm going to be successful at this sport, I've got to learn to shoot from way out. I'm not going to be able to go in close because I'm not big enough. So he, he, he spent all his time learning to shoot what's called the three-point shot, shoot from behind a certain line that allows you to get baskets. And, and, he, and now everybody does it. The whole game is different. And that, to me, is a beautiful example of healthy shame where you, you have a limitation, you look at the limitation, you don't let it defeat you, you don't blame someone else for it, but you then reassess and say, okay, what do I do about this? How do I adjust mm-hmm. to this? Mm-hmm. What do I do differently now? Mm-hmm. And, and he's just a great example of that. Now, he did that on his own, presumably, or with the help of others. Yeah, he sought out people to help him with it. Mm-hmm. But he made that decision, and he put in just incredible amounts of time transforming mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. He used the shame as information. He used the limitation as information. Okay, this is true. Now, what do I do about it? And you could see why folks would need somebody like yourself or or another therapist to help them through that because that's not it's that's a tangible example but uh for some that's the awareness isn't even there they have no clue about where this reactivity is coming from right yeah a lot of that's the hardest to work with is people with no clue they they're in denial Mm. Deny is the hardest one, at least for me, to work with. Because mm-hmm. first you have to get them convinced that there's something to work with. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, but whichever it is, it, it's really helpful to have help. It's really helpful. Um, you know, other people, connection with other people, getting help, not being too proud to get help. That's yeah. really, really a key. You know, yeah. realizing there's a problem and, and seeking out help for that problem. And then my goal is to train enough people so that they will be able to get the help, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and this area. And it's, it's come, it's, it's really changed. I mean, the, the level of books now out about shame and the level of therapists who know about it, the level of the different trauma programs that now include a unit on shame mm-hmm. is, is remarkable. In, in the 10 mm-hmm. years I've been doing this, even the people who come to my workshops now are so much better informed. 10 years ago, people were coming in and going, I don't know nothing about this. This sounds right. vaguely interesting. you know. Now yeah. people are coming in and saying, yeah, I see shame in my clients. I want to learn how to work with it. I don't know what to do with it. Um, and, 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 you know, I want help with it. So it's, it, the, 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 we've, we've, we've de-shamed shame to some extent, <laughs> at least in certain communities, you know, it sounds like you're on a mission. 
I'm I'm really on a mission. Yeah, and it's it sustains me. Wonderful. It's been you know it's been a lot of years, and it, you know it came out of a reassessment. You know, like I saw that I wasn't able to get the help I needed. I had to do all this work on my own. Mm-hmm. And and it, it meant reading everything. I mean, I went and read every piece of literature. There wasn't that much back then, but oh. I read every piece of literature on shame. And I kind of worked it out and figured it out for myself. And I don't want people to have to do that. I want people to be able to get help. And which is exactly what uh, this program is all about, is actually bringing this to people's awareness. Because I, I, I would imagine that listeners, this is very new for them. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just want, before we, before we close, I just want you to sort of summarize what you talked about earlier about breathing and, and calming down mm-hmm. when, when, you, when something is going on for you to, to quieten. And right. Can you just summarize that yeah, again for, yeah. for the listeners? But I, I just don't want to say that I'm so happy and grateful that you're doing this show and bringing it to the general public because that's really the mm-hmm. next thing we want to do. And it's so great that you're doing it and uh, you're reaching people all over the world who are doing this, right. uh, you know, and who need to need to, to de-shame shame and make it part of the conversation and work with it. Right. So that said, basically, uh, the one unit that I can kind of give that's the easiest one to get a hold of is to withdraw somewhat from the situation in any way you can. If you're in a shaming situation with a partner, take a walk, get out of there, uh, move away. And then, or if you can't do that, sit still, close your eyes and breathe and, mm-hmm. and kind of ground and be on the, be, be centered, be on the ground. And then realize that you're a limited human being, like all limited human <laughs> beings, everybody's in the same boat and, you know, and, and you got to work with it. And, and that's uh, that's the kind of simple self-help piece I can yeah. give people. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brett, for being here today. Um, if folks want to contact you, you have a website. It's on it's on our website here, but uh, you've also got an email address, Brett, which yeah. is one T, one T B R E T at healingshame.com. Healingshame.com and Healing Shame is our website as well, mm-hmm. healingshame.com. We have free webinars, we have a free guidebook. We do have material for individuals, uh, definitely. We also have a tape series for parents of adopted or foster children. Uh, we've worked especially with them because shame can be so prominent in that situation. And we have um, a whole bunch of articles, uh, a lot of which are for the general public. So it's all on the website or, and a reading list as well. So, so I, I really recommend people take a look at our website, see what's up there. We're trying to reach as many people as we can. Thank you so much, Brett. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And maybe we'll get you back. And uh, so listeners, tune in next week to hear more about shedding light on our dark side. And uh, please contact me or Brett. My not, my email is mdelittle at gmail.com and it's on the website. That's all for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening this week to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side with Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Please join us for another edition of the program next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.